0: Vibe Machine.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Undercovers, the podcast where we chat with artists that have created some amazing and iconic album artwork. And this episode we get to hear from Nick Pritchard, who has spent 10 years as the creative director for Epitaph Records. And is now the creative director at AEG live and golden voice who organize festivals like Coachella amongst a million other things. <laughs> How are you going today, Nick, over there in LA?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, just a quick correct, uh, correction. I'm actually not working at AEG anymore. So I'm actually freelance. So as <laughs> of a couple of months I went, ago, so
1: I went off your website. So <laughs> I apologize.
0: <for> that. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't updated that yet, but yeah, that's a recent development.
1: Um, well, that's good because you've done a lot of freelance work as well with labels like Equal Vision, Doghouse, and even Domino Records. That um, that's a pretty big repertoire of um, pretty iconic labels. How the the first question I've got is how how did you start in design and how did you end up working at Epitaph?
0: Um, I started in design. I want to say early 90s. I uh... Early, I started getting into the punk scene, you know, through kind of the same ways a lot of kids my age did with like Nirvana and stuff like that, yeah. but then started getting more into the underground and, uh, started producing my own zines. And from there, just the, the act of laying out, uh, zines and stuff like that just really turned me on to design. And I want to say, uh, in the late nineties went with, uh, labels like J tree records, mm-hmm. um, their visual aesthetic just really blew me away. I think uh, it was Jason from the band, The Promise Ring. His, mm-hmm. yep. his, aesthetic, his visual aesthetic was just, it, it just blew me away. So I, I, became really fascinated with design, went to art school, um, got out of art school and uh, was working at a multimedia company down in Baltimore. And just randomly uh was, Making these just kind of Photoshop collages and putting them online, I got featured on a art blog, and uh, the owner of Epitaph Records, Brett Gerwitz, just happened upon it and uh, <laughs> shot 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 me an email. And uh, he's like, "Hey, I like your stuff. I think I remember one of my collages. I used a uh, an image of the band The Locust, and he was just getting ready to sign that band. So he's like, "Oh, right." He's, He's like, okay, this, this kid knows what's going on. He's a punk rocker. So, so, uh, we started doing, I started doing freelance for him for about a year. And then, uh, he, he said, you know what? You're doing so much work for me. I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. He's like, I want to just move you out to California and have you be my creative director. So. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. (laughs)
1: That must have been quite a call because, uh, you know, not too many people would get that call from Brett (laughs) Gurewitz.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was definitely a a process. I mean, we, we worked together for a year over the phone and we definitely became friends. It was, it was definitely a, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, meeting of the minds, but we just really, (laughs) we did, we just really vibed off each other. And, uh, at, at the time, Epitaph, um, was kind of known as the, you know, Southern California punk rock label. You know, they have Pennywise yeah. and stuff like that. And, uh, around that time, 2002, 2003, uh, he really wanted to start branching out and not just mm. be that, that skate punk label. And, uh, so he kind of brought me on, not only for, uh, the visuals, but also to help, uh, sign bands and stuff since I was into, uh, kind of the newer that newer scene at that time so
1: mm. and and he he sort of also had the sub labels like anti and and things like that and mm-hmm. um the first album that i wanted to talk about because I, I want to chat about a whole bunch of them that's okay um elliot smith okay. every time i die bad religion circus survive alkaline true rancid this is so many but um but e- elliot smith's um from um from a basement on a hill of course released after his death in 2003 um mm. that is a big step away from from sort of the punk you know that the labels were known for how, how did how did that come to to be did were you part of the process of sort of Elliot Smith's I guess estate bringing that to anti and then and then how did the the artwork come together um well i guess uh when
0: i it was literally when I first moved to Los Angeles. It must have been early two thousand three. Um, mm-hmm. was shortly after that. Um, I believe Elliot passed, and I was always a huge Elliot Smith fan. And oh, I, yeah. uh there's a rumor around the office that uh Elliot's one of Elliot's last wishes um, was that he really wanted to be on anti-records. He wanted, I think he was on DreamWorks at the time, but he, yes. he, he really loved, um, I guess he had read some articles, uh, we at Anti had Tom Waits at the time. So he really wanted to be associated with that. Um, so after the pat, after his passing, um, his management and, uh, the record label, DreamWorks, I believe, um, were actually really cool and honored his wish and, brought it onto anti and it was literally as I was just starting to be a creative director at epitaph and it got it really just got thrown in my lap. And it was, it's still probably one of the most amazing experiences as far as designing an album cover that I've been a part of. It was, it was challenging. There was a lot of Mm. facets. There's a lot of facets to it. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, he had just passed, so it was obviously a sensitive issue. Yes. There was, um, uh, there was different side. He, his parents had divorced. And so there was like two sides of the family who both wanted different, you know, I, they both had different visions. And then, um, I became, uh, close with his uh, sister who was living out here at the time, Ashley, and, uh, his former photographer, Autumn DeWild, and. So it was a really, it was a really, as a fan, as a really huge fan, it was, it was such an honor to work on that record because I was, you know, I was kind of like privy to the in, like his inner circle and I got to hear so many stories. Um, his sister, I remember she brought out this, uh, old suitcase and just opened it up and it was all these just handwritten lyrics, uh, that Elliot had done. I guess he had never, I guess he didn't, uh, Write them in notebooks, like you know, he would be at a bar or something and just write them on a napkin. And it was so this, so it was just you know scraps of paper on the back of receipts, hotel, uh, you know, stationery. And so she basically just gave me this suitcase and was like, "Here, go through this and see if you can use any of it." And it was, it was unbelievable. It was wow, definitely one of the the most uh, memorable. Designs I've been able to do, but the saying that, uh, it's one of those album covers. Whenever I see it, I always do a little cringe because I wish I could redesign it. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of artists do that, but especially that one. I mean, it for, you know, the amount of people who had input on that record and how yeah. sensitive it was. Um, you know, I thought it, it came out pretty well, but you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would definitely redesign that record. <laughs> right.
1: and, and and look, that's one of the things that I guess, and anyone who's been listening to these podcasts would, would know that this is something that comes up again and again with, with nearly all the artists I've chatted to is you've got this artwork and you sort of create it for a moment in time. It's not like mm-hmm. a, a lot of artists talk about book artwork and they say, you know, you know, novels, the artwork changes nearly every reprint. You know, you'll have a different artist or yeah. a different interpretation of it. But with albums, it's very unique. There aren't too many that get redesigned. It is what is put out and what the, it's that stamp of this is this album, this is the visual aesthetic of it. And it stays like that forever. So it's 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 one of those rare mediums in that in that regard, isn't
0: it? it absolutely i it's that's actually something i've thought about you know even even movies books um and i've and i've thought about the reason for that and you know when when i've worked with artists before it's you really you really need to connect with the artist because you're trying to fulfill their vision like this it's uh, this album the music is very personal to them so once you link up like and you have, you kind of connect on that vision and you get on their, their vibe. That's, mm. I, I think, I think it in a way that that visual becomes part of the music as well, where it doesn't with a book or a movie. It's because it's mm. very, it's, it's a very, very personal. It's in, you're trying to reflect the emotion of that album. So
1: it's definitely something I've thought, <laughs> I've thought about and yeah. Yeah, it's, it it is strangest. It? It's like when you hear a a song from an album. So you know, any, any, like whenever I hear um Los Angeles is Burning by Bad Religion, I instantly think of the album cover. That's it's mm-hmm. sort of the in that you know background noise in your head. You go, oh that song, oh that's the album cover. That's where it's from. Um, mm-hmm. and you know it can also and you can also with artists pick often pick the era that it's from as well by that visualization, you sort of go, oh, okay, that's from that album. Okay. I get when that was, and what they were doing around about then. So it's, you're right. It's one of those, you know, it's it's so connected. Um, So look, but, but with, with Elliot Smith, it, it is one of those ones where so many people hold him close. It's sort of like that Jeff Buckley thing, right? Where right. anything that, that comes out, especially after their passing is just snapped up and, you know, overanalyzed in a way or, you know, they're mm-hmm. trying to find the hidden messages in there. So it, 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 it must be very, like you're saying, you know, it's incredible, but it must be very satisfying as well that, that you've got to have, you know, just a little piece of that.
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, I mean, I, I come from a musical family. Uh, my dad, uh, he, he used to work for uh, Fender and Yamaha as a sales rep. I have, uh, three younger brothers who are all musicians. I for some reason never got that 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 music, <laughs> the music talent. But um, I always wanted to be a part of it, and uh, doing visuals and it was it was the next best thing for me is to connect to these artists and it. You know, I mean, music has always such been such a huge part of my life. So to be able to be associated and. Um, yeah, connect with artists uh on that level is it's such is such an amazing experience. It's something I'm very thankful for.
1: <laughs> most definitely. But look, when jumping jumping around a little bit, Nick, let's let's lessen the mood a little bit from from Elliot Smith and let's go to um probably the, the artist or the band that most people think of when they hear Epitaph, and that's bad religion for obvious reason. Mm-hmm. Um Yes. <laughs> were you a fan of Bad religion because you, you sort of mentioned you're a fan of all of that sort of punk scene. Were were Bad Religion one of those one of those bands that you held in high esteem when you first came to Epitaph?
0: I'm I'm going to make a big admission here. I was heavily <laughs> into the punk scene, but Bad Religion was uh, a band that I never got into for some reason. I, I remember being in wow. middle school and and uh I don't I was in uh, at a very young age, I was exposed to a lot of weird music. I remember being in sixth grade and listening to bands like cannibal corpse and stuff. So when I heard of bad, (laughs) when I heard of bad religion, like I would, I saw, you know, some of their aesthetics, like the, the crucifix X out. Mm. And I was like, Whoa, this is going to be really intense music. And when I heard it, you know, it's, it's more pop punk with that kind of beach boy, you know, kind of vocals. And, uh, I, uh, I, I didn't really appreciate it when I first heard it, but um truth be told, as, you know, as I came out here and as I got, as I started talking to Brett, I started going back and listening to the catalog.
1: And I realized
0: like how much I had, how much I had missed and how prolific they really were. But, you know, what, growing up, I was like a, this young punk and into anything that was really extreme. I'm like, uh, these guys aren't really extreme. Like they're just posturing this, like, you know, evil look but ne- like it took me a while to get uh yeah into their music <laughs> so that's definitely <laughs> a, definitely a big admission i don't but think you, i
1: tell a lot of people i don't think i tell a lot of people that <laughs> oh well, we'll, well i was gonna say we'll cut it out of the podcast but we're not going to so <laughs> oh no 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 everyone knows now <laughs> <laughs> but look you you ended up from there you ended up working on a bunch of their releases. Um. Both, you know, albums and DVDs, and you know, obviously across the whole aesthetic. But you know, you did. How could hell be any worse? The Empire Strikes First, New Maps of Hell, just just examples. But um, The Empire Strikes First, that one strike, you know, really, um, you know, it's it's one of the albums that I really get into when I listen to Bad Religion, and um, it's also a bit of a first for the band, from what I could tell, because it doesn't have their name on the cover. How was that yes. something that you and the band had? deliberately come up with or was it just because the artwork was so striking
0: the that was definitely a uh and a a talking (laughs) point the they definitely (laughs) wanted they definitely wanted their name on the cover it was definitely odd for them not to do that um but i i I, once i showed them the imagery i i convinced them that this is such a striking image that you don't need this and you know i mean I, I feel like a lot of the times if an album cover is strong enough, people are going to connect it. They're going to connect it to the music. You don't need, you don't need the uh, band name, honestly. Hmm. But, um, I mean, that was, yeah, that was one of the first records I did for them. And it's funny because my old roommate is that is the, uh, guy praying on that cover. We shot that. Oh, really?
1: Like,
0: we shot that basic, like the photo was literally shot with a Polaroid camera in the, I think the first house I lived in Los Angeles we my roommate I just said hey, find a, a shirt and tie took the photo and then uh yeah did my work to it there you go something
1: that not but many that's, people that's, know that's, about
0: <laughs> that, yeah and that's that's I mean if I mean you go through a lot of my epitaph work I mean I always kind of operated in that fashion with the uh I always liked the DIY it was never like a higher a model it was always like oh, you you know, you're my friend. Okay, you're going to be on the album cover. You're going to do this. <laughs> you know, I always liked including – I always liked it to be very organic. I didn't want it and very DIY, and I wanted to always keep that kind of in mind when doing this stuff. And, and,
1: and was that something that – I mean, obviously that's something that Brett would have seen in, in your artwork and the reason that he brought you on board, but was that one of the things that, that you and, and he spoke about, you know, with the aesthetic and – um, because, you know, even at that time, by the time you came on board, Epitaph had a very big worldwide brand, you know, you're sort of taking over, you know, sort of like the Coca-Cola of the, of the, of the indie music world. Um, mm-hmm. was that something that, that you, that you and Brett spoke about, you know, keeping or enhancing that, that, that brand?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned before, I mean... When I came on board, they were still kind of known as that Southern, uh, California punk rock and their mm. visual aesthetic back then was very, um, kind of like fifties race car or like, you know, those monster drive, like almost Ed Hardy-esque kind of stuff. Mm. And, uh, I remember having a conversation with Brett on the phone one time and, you know, talking about, um, how could hell be any worse? Their, their first record, which was just red, you know, stark with the, a cityscape of Los Angeles. And I was like, mm. you know, really getting back to that, like that DIY punk aesthetic and not being so cartoony, um, which is where they're kind of at at the time. And he, he was feeling it. He's definitely feeling it. And we, we wanted to create like, just a, a whole new look for the label. I mean, I remember the logo was redesigned, you know, the, it, everything was kind of, we kind of calculated everything. We wanted the visual aesthetic to, to change. Uh, we wanted, uh, you know, just every aspect of it to change. We mm. wanted the bands to change. I mean, we still, I've still kept our classic bands, but we wanted to expand the roster and, uh, include more than just, you know, your typical Southern California
1: punk rock. Hmm. And it definitely, I mean, the label has just, even today, they're still signing acts that even to me, some of the acts they sign, I, I think why. Um, <laughs> but you, but you can see why they, why they, why they've done it. And it's all about staying relevant and staying sort of on the cusp of, of the new wave while keeping the old wave and sort of, you know, meshing it together. It's, it's, it's something that not a lot of labels do well. And um, it's something that, that Epitaph have managed to do and sort of reinvent themselves every time, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Brett is – he's very forward-thinking like that, very forward-thinking, very forward-thinking. But, um yeah, I mean, just – I mean, getting – I remember one of the first bands I helped sign to the label was Converge, and I remember sitting down with Brett and telling him why Converge was important to sign, you know, they're – They might not sell a hundred thousand records, but they're they are such a you know amazingly artistic band. Jake Bannon is a amazing visual artist, the singer, Hmm. and it's. I told him I was like, this is a band that's going to attract other bands to our label. This is credibility for our label, and I think he really took that on board. You know, like some of the bands we signed, you know, we weren't going to make a ton of money off them. We might break even, but they were going to show that this is a label that cares about, you know, the future and like all aspects of underground music, you know, we were mm-hmm. not just concentrated on one, on one genre. I mean, I remember we were doing, I don't, I don't think they really do hip hop anymore, but uh, during that time we were starting to do hip hop, like Sage Francis and uh, yes. stuff, stuff like that. So it was it was a really great time because it was kind of anything goes, you know, you bring it, you bring anything in and we'll, you know, we'll try it out. So yeah, it was a, a great time.
1: It's really interesting how you talk about Brett being that way. Um, I'm, I'm friends with the manager of a bank called Parkway Drive who are on Epitaph. I'm sure you know who Parkway oh, Drive yeah. are. Um, and yeah, absolutely. He, was, he, he was explaining to me sort of how Brett operates and he'd been sort of shopping parkway drive around to all these us labels and didn't go near epitaph he thought there's no way that brett's gonna (laughs) even want to talk to me or take my call and he flies into la get you know gets on the ground and suddenly there's he meets up with a friend of his and she's like hey your phone's been off um brett from epitaph wants to talk to you about parkway drive and it it, 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 he was like it became so obvious to him that it was the right choice because brett was chasing him down when no one else was doing that. (laughs) So, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of interesting how he works like that. And, and, you know, and he's like, you know, the band would die to be on Epitaph. And, you know, it's really made that band go from strength to strength as well. So it's the power of the label as well as the band. And you're right. Bands like Converge, I'm sure that, you know, bands like that or equal would have been one of the reasons that, that a band like Parkway Drive are interested.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I
1: remember, I remember, uh, Uh, when the locusts,
0: uh, were signing, they, you know, there was, there was a weird thing, uh, when I first started there where, um, you know, there's a lot of these underground bands where they didn't want, they didn't want to sign the epitaph because they thought it was selling out (laughs) because they were so (laughs) underground. I mean, locust was a, it was a uh, example of that. But, um, you know, once, once that barrier was broken and all that kind of silliness was gone, um, the, the floodgates opened. I remember, I remember Brett playing me Parkway Drive and I'm like, yeah, definitely go for, definitely go for this. I mean, Brett was always someone who, uh, he always played music to everyone in the office. Like, Hey, what are you getting their opinion? What do you think of this? So, uh, he was definitely wasn't signing it in a vacuum. Like he always got opinions from everybody and which was really cool. I mean, he really, you know, that allowed the label to really expand and go from, you know, hardcore now they, i mean they even have black metal bands like uh death heaven yes um and stuff like that and that i remember my first christmas present to uh brett when i first started there was the lords of chaos book that black metal book (laughs) like kind (laughs) of like because like I, i was telling him i was like there's this really crazy music it's called black metal and uh he he didn't know anything about it and so i gave him the book and then you know now there's now now there's getting a black metal label. Or they're adding a black that. metal band on that label. So I,
1: I love that. I love that that influence, and that that he's so open to that. But um, talking about a bit more about Bad Religion, um, uh, New Maps from Hell, and one of the things that I noticed as I was going through the artwork that you've created, and also the the band's artwork previously and, and afterwards, is they don't follow standard patterns of having the same font or logo for the band name. And that's something that's quite unique. You know, you look at, you look at rancid and you get the rancid logo doesn't change Mm -hmm. that much, but with bad religion on almost every album, it changes. Does that make it? And like I said, on empire strikes first doesn't exist at all. Is it, does, does that make it easier or harder for someone like you when you're trying to create the artwork?
0: Uh, it, it definitely makes it easier. I mean, with that religion, we did use, uh, I mean, their their official font is Fritz quadrata, uh, bold. So, I mean, I, I did use that font. I mean, if you look closely on uh, all the releases, whether it's on the cover or not, it's used, but I always never wanted to just use it just, you know, that, you know, just the way it was. I would, I would cut it out. I would make stencils of it Um, like on the uh, DVD cover of Live at the Palladium. It's that it's their font, but it's, you know, it's I cut it out as a stencil. So it looks a little dirty. Um, So, I mean, that's definitely I mean, they definitely have kept that font, but they allowed me to kind of play with it. So it you don't you look at it and it kind of resembles their their logo, their font, but. You know, they they definitely gave me creative freedom to go do whatever I wanted with it. So
1: excellent. And, and and when they when they're creating the art, or you're creating the artwork for them, do they come to you with sort of the concept, or or do they, you know, do you do you listen to the album? Do you get the major, you know, the major points of what you know what they're trying to convey and try and do a visual, or is or are the band giving you input as you're creating it?
0: Um, the usually. It was with Bad Religion specifically, they would, uh, Brett would play me some music. He would give me the, kind of the title of the record, but he would really let me run free with the visuals, um, and like, uh, New Maps of Hell. It was, I really felt, I mean, since their first record was How Could Hell Be Any Worse? And it was Mm. that that landscape of, uh. Of Los Angeles and I thought new maps of hell, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to that, that first record. So I wanted to, uh, create another cityscape, but make it really dystopian and, and mm. dirty and grimy. And it, you know, it still has elements of LA, but it's all collage. You've got the Capitol Records building, you got the Hollywood sign, but it's yep. all kind of smashed together. And, um, yeah, it's definitely, I think at that. At that point, it's definitely how I saw Los Angeles too you know as this you know this this place where people come and you know they think it's this heaven and you get into Hollywood and you're like, okay, you know there's pot it's the level of oh. the extremes of the of how people are rich and the amount of people who are poor it's just staggering and you just see that and that's what I really wanted to convey on that on that cover was you know. It's, uh, Los Angeles is definitely can be a hell. <laughs> so
1: it's, it's, it's interesting. I've been to LA a few times and I can remember the first time my wife and I went there and we were so excited. We got off the plane and we're driving on the freeway and I'm, we're looking out the window. And we're like, we're in LA and on the side of the road, there is literally rubbish stacked <laughs> on the side of the road. Yes. Where are we? Yeah. You know, and then you get yes. into Hollywood and you're like, you're like, there's a reason no one lives near Hollywood or comes in here. Um, and then you sort of, and then we're on, we're on a bus because we hadn't figured out that everyone drives in LA at that point. And uh, to be honest with you, they'd just updated all the metro system and the metro trains were amazing, but completely empty because no one catches mm. trains. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I remember talking to someone who worked there and they're like, yeah, we've just spent, you know, eight billion dollars on this and no one uses it. And it was beautiful. Um, but I can remember being on a bus and going to, through to Beverly Hills and it was like, you know, poor, poor street, poor street, poor street, extreme wealth, yes. extreme wealth, extreme wealth, poor street, poor street, yes. poor street. <laughs> and That street. And, then and when I moved out here, I was just, I was
0: staggered by that, you know, just the, that, the ability for, you know, these gorgeous houses. And then right next, you know, next yeah. block, like you said, it's just, it's the most poorest conditions you could see it was just it was shocking to me i remember uh driving down sunset boulevard and uh i think with my girlfriend at the time and i was just joking around i'm like people dream about coming to hollywood and then you look around you're like and this is the reality of it you know it's yeah yeah it's it's kind of it's it's like that david lynch thing you know there's there's the beauty and then there's that darkness and <laughs> decay underneath <laughs> you know, and I think he, you know, which he shows in like movies like Maholland Drive and stuff. Yes. It, it just, it all clicked, it all clicked with me. So, I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, unique, a unique city and, and a unique, and it does, you know, bringing that out in artwork and and you see it in quite a, quite a few acts that they, you know, and, uh and you've obviously done it as well. It, it you know, it really does highlight the, you know, the spectrum that is, <laughs> that is LA. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, yeah. But look, before we get off Bad Religion, I wanted to just chat about one more bit of artwork, and that's the Greg Graffin album, Cold as the Clay. Um, yes, yes. Now, for the last twenty years or so, Bad Religion haven't really plastered their own faces on covers. They're sure they've been on the inside the artwork and stuff, but not on the front. But with Greg's album, Greg's image front and center on the cover was that was that something that that was discussed about being you know, because it is a different feel and a different type of record, and you know, very personal to him. Is it, you know, was it important for him to have himself on the cover?
0: Um, it, it wasn't actually. That that okay. came about very organically. Um, it was recorded at, uh, I believe the name of the studio was uh, Sound City. It was where Nirvana yep. recorded Nevermind. Yes. And. Weezer, uh, did so, yep. Yeah. And. So, you know, right be- you know this is before obviously uh it got torn down or it's not there anymore but we got we got to go in and I brought um a really close friend uh, Brian Sheffield who um I worked with doing a lot of photography and uh Brett was producing the record and he just said, "Hey, why don't you guys just come down, listen, you know, listen, get the vibe of the record, take some photos and that's what we did and you know as we, my friend Brian was shooting photos we we got this photo of of Greg shooting of playing in the mm. and i just thought that's a great that's going to be a great album cover and uh wow you know at first i i can't remember if he was opposed to it or not but um it, it it's that album actually came together pretty organically um and it was, that was a fun record too i mean because it was it was Greg from Bad Religion, but he was, you know, doing more folk and Americana type, hmm. type uh, music and, uh, which allowed me to explore like a different, <laughs> a different side. Um, you know, like I actually, I remember going on eBay and ordering, um, some old wood type and, uh, the, the name Greg Graffin on that album cover is actually old wood type that I was like dipping in ink and stamping it and, I just wanted wow. to give it kind of like a, that really old kind of Americana feel, but and then on the inside, I my friend Brian who took the photos, he was just showing me all these contact sheets. He's like, oh, do you want to use this photo? Do you want to use this photo? And I'm like, actually, I really like that the contact, you know, that contact sheet feel. So mm. we just scanned all those and put those on the inside. But um, awesome. yeah, that was it. That was definitely yeah, a fair. great experience too. I mean, just being a huge Nirvana fan and just being in the, that same, uh, space that they recorded nevermind was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you,
1: have you, have you seen the documentary, the Sound City documentary where they played you know, with Mac yes. and Tom Petty and, um, yeah, yeah, well, I would die to have been in there. So, so well done for getting to experience Sound City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely, definitely something I'll always remember. So, look, move, moving away from Bad Religion, we've talked about them and, and things like that, um, but moving to someone else, Alkaline Trio. Now, you worked on Damnesia and then the Broken Wing EP along with My Shame Is True. Now, they're, they're once again, they're a band that do keep their, their logo and their style very, you know, very close to their chest. And you look at an Alkaline Trio album cover and you often know it's Alkaline Trio. And a lot of their covers have that sort of off-kilter or, you know, darker elements, um, a bit like the music, but broken wing and my shame is true. They were, they were taken from the same photo shoot with the with the motorcycle. Is correct? Mhm.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that was Matt Skiba's ex girlfriend, who who all the music was basically written about. From what I can I can read between the lines was was that cover something that came together between yourself and Matt? Yes.
0: Yeah. That was uh Matt actually came came to me with that that photography and was. Okay. And this is, this is, this is what we want. And, uh, I remember we went through lots of different color combinations for My Shame is True and, uh, and that single broken wing. But, um, yeah, that was something he came to me with and, uh, it just, it worked out really well. I mean, Matt, Matt's a great guy. I, I also did, um, one of my favorite projects I worked with, with Matt, uh, was a side project he did actually before Alkline Trio was signed to Epitaph. It was called Heavens, and yes. it was uh, and, and that yeah, it, it was more of that kind of you know Joy Division esque yep. uh, kind of music. And that w- that was such a great experience, and um, definitely connected with Matt. Like we definitely have a lot of similar interests as far as uh, music, and yeah, just a really great guy to work with. Very easy to work with visually and um but yeah that was the those alkaline trio albums he kind of came with the initial idea of you know the motorcycle and then that it was my kind of i i had to kind of interpret it, that with color and and uh type
1: that's awesome and it's awesome that he has so much input into it as well because not a lot of artists do but then you've got other ones that that, that really are are quite into it and um I guess one of the, one of the albums that that you've done that really was striking to me when it first came out, and even though I'm not their biggest fan, the album artwork itself is, um, you know, is something that I've got the album and it still stands out in my collection, and that's, um, Motion City soundtrack, commit this to memory. Mm. Um, to me it sort of has that, and I, I'm guessing I'm picking up little bits of it, but that, that sort of huskadoo element where Grant Hart, um, who would do all their album covers would, would cut and paste sort of tech, you know, bits and pieces together, that sort of collage, um, exactly. that must, you know, and I was going to ask if, if you were a fan of of huskadoo and a fan of grand art hearts artwork. And, um, and then I, I wanted to find out sort of what the, de, you know, what the design elements you, you incorporated into into that motion city soundtrack album were. Um,
0: I'm definitely a fan. I'm, I might, it might have had a a subconscious effect on that artwork. Now that you say it, I've never thought of it. um, (laughs) I've never thought, but that, you know, you never know what, uh, inspiration, you know, seeps into your brain and then it's going to come out. But, um, yeah, that, that cut and paste look and was such a, I mean, it's, it's always been kind of my go-to as far as, uh, what I love visually. And, and mm-hmm. that's another, and that's another, um a little fun fact for the album cover of that. The guy that's on the cover of, um Commit This to Memory is my roommate, who, who was my roommate at the time, Matt. He was also the, uh, uh, person on Bad Religions, uh, Vampire Strikes <laughs> First. The praying guy. <laughs> so, that just shows, it just shows, it's, and I worked, I worked with Matt at, uh, Epitaph, um, so. It was always just, yeah, a family thing. But as far as, I mean, that was, that's definitely one of the albums I'm really, really uh, proud about. You know, just, it was an interesting experience because, um, the singer actually gave me, uh, I guess he had been on Warp Tour and he had just written his notebooks. He had a bunch of notebooks with, you know, personal stuff in it along with the lyrics, and he just literally just dropped them off at my desk at work and was like, scan these, use whatever you want. And so, you know, the inside of the record, you have, you know, all these little scribbles and writings, and, like, that's actually from his notebook. And um, the collage elements, I believe Josh, the guitarist, I remember him saying that he wanted uh, each... Each band member inside the album cover, there's a portrait of each band member and he wanted, yes. uh, stuff coming out of their head that represented them. So <laughs> it was, it was definitely a really great collage piece, you know, and it was a great learning experience, you know, getting to know the guys because, you know, I had to really sit down with them and talk with them. And I remember going to the studio once when they were recording, uh, I, they were recording with Mark Hoppus from Blink 182. Mm. And, uh, we actually, the photos of the guys were taking right outside the studio, like again, complete do it yourself style. We just literally took them out of the studio, put them in front of the blankest wall we could find, took the photo and then went from there. And, uh, yeah,
1: it is, it is so cool how you sort of just, you know, grab them. There's no, you know, no professional photo shoots. It's just here, stand there, take a photo. We'll make that work that is and it and it you know it doesn't look like that on the album cover but now that you mention it it sort of it makes it that that more honest look right rather than rather than being in a studio and sort of have the landscape and then the portrait shot and all that sort of mess that um that a lot of acts go for
0: yeah and i and i enjoy it just it feels more authentic to me and i and i enjoy being kind of in that chaos you know like when we're at the studio, you know, just we're all kind of collaborating and you yeah. know, just do it right there in the moment and don't overthink it. And, and I, I really think so, some of the best artwork that I've done or some of my favorite artwork that I've done has come about that way.
1: Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And look, what sort of one of the last acts I want to talk about because I'm taking up so much of your time, but is every time I die. Um, yes. now they're a band another band with an artist in their midst in guitarist Jordan Buckley. He created the illustrations for New Junk Aesthetic. Is that, is that yes. right? Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah, and he 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 created all uh he he handed me off a bunch of uh black and white uh illustrations and was like, hey, go to town and color these. <laughs> so
1: Wow. And yeah, so it, w- it stands out so so much. Again, and they're a band that You know, that, um, that eye that they, that, that they use and the, um, you know, that stands out. But then, you know, on that album, it just, and then on the next one, X Lives as well, which is more, you know, photographic based with, with the police brutality and shows of force and stuff. Um, you know, obviously he'd given you the drawings for one, but then they changed it up on the next one. Was that, was that a deliberate? Idea to to be different on every album. That was yeah,
0: that was definitely deliberate. uh J- I mean, Jordan and I had talked, and he didn't want, uh you know, the subsequent uh, every time I die records just to be his artwork. He wanted he wanted that, you know, that he wanted New Junk aesthetic to to stand on its own. And then um, with X Lives, the record after that, um, it i I believe the the cover photo kind of start it wasn't a joke, but I remember that i i believe it was Jordan or someone in the band sent me the photo, and it was uh this guy being you know taken away by police, but he's wearing an every time I die shirt, a new junk aesthetics shirt, and we just thought we were like this is perfect so <laughs> <laughs> so it started, you know, it started off as kind of a, this, this would be cool to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, let's do that and set it apart from the other record. You know, I, I think most bands don't like to repeat themselves or want to be pigeonholed into either a, a sound or a visual, uh, as a look from record mm. to record. They want each one to be its own testament, you know?
1: Brilliant. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, the more I'm finding out about the background of these, it's making me want to go and revisit the albums again. And, uh, sort of one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this podcast series was because of that. So I'm glad I'm finding out so, so many things about, you know, the artists and the artwork and how they're sort of meshed together. But look, you have worked on so many others and we could talk about matchbook romance and rancid and all of those. But the last one, the very last one I wanted to chat to you about was, was one of my favorite releases that came out of sort of That era, and it's the Dillinger Escape Plan Mike Patton collaboration. Um, Okay, yeah. Iron irony is dead. Scene, a very cool EP and a cool cover. I was going to ask. I'm sorry. I I was I was going to ask. Are you a Patton fan? Are you a Dillinger Escape Plan fan?
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. When when I was offered to do that, I was completely blown away. I mean, I, I was a huge Dillinger Escape Plan. Fan. I was a huge Mike Patton fan, you know, even, even when he was in faith no more. So yeah. it was, it was a definitely a bit nerve wracking, but, uh, the, uh, the funny thing is that on that album cover, the, the picture of the kid on the cover, that's mm. a picture of me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, uh, what was, what was funny was that was never supposed to be the album cover. Um, the way we had set up. The CD was it was basically I I don't know how to really explain this without making sense, but um, basically at the plant there was the real album cover was supposed to be the back of that sheet, and that the back of the sheet was just this kind of blurred image with like metallic ink swirling in it, and mm, then yep, and then the reverse was supposed to be the picture of me. And, uh, at the plant, they actually screwed it up and that actually became the cover. <laughs> and then the guys kind of were just like, actually that, that does look good. And they went with it and that's how it's been. But, um, yeah, another example of, uh, just pulling what I've got around me. I mean, that was, that album was actually done right before I started working at Epitaph officially. That was a, a freelance project. And, um, yeah, I was, I was, happened to be at my parents' house going through all these old photos. And I found this ridiculous photo of me of a kid. And I was like, wouldn't it be hilarious if I put this on and they'd actually use it as an album cover? And <laughs> they didn't want to, but they still thought it was cool. But then due to the, you know, the production plant screwing up, it actually ended up being the album cover. So I
1: love it. I love it. That is, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. But um look, I guess to, to, to sort of end this, I, I asked two questions, Nick. And, um, <laughs> Um, and then, then I want to ask you one other, but, but, um, here's the first question I'll ask this of everyone. If you had one artist you wish you could have designed for, who would it be? It can be an old artist or a current one? Oh man.
0: <laughs> living, uh, living dead, living, living <laughs> dead or dead or yeah, anything. Living or dead. Yep. Oh, there's so, just one.
1: Just leave so as many as you like to start rattling them off if you like. All right.
0: Um, well, I would, de- I mean, I would love to redesign Nirvana's Nevermind album cover. That would be one. Um, but then there's, I would, I would really love to design some records for uh some more black metal bands, like Mayhem, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> um, but there's also, I mean, yeah, my, I listen to every type of music, so, you know, something like, uh, some neo, like dark neo folk bands like Current 93, Death in June, um, Daughters, uh, um, and even some of the, like, there's some new, uh, rap that I, I really like, um like Suicide Boys, uh, Look of Face, Springs Eternal, Fat Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I run, I run the gamut. I mean, there's so many people I love the design for. So, yeah, it's hard that, to just pinpoint one.
1: That is awesome. That is awesome. And you sort of answer my next question, which was, if you could have created an artwork for an existing album, if you had had a crack at it, which one would it have been? But you you sort of answer that at the start with Nirvana's Nevermind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's an iconic. It's an iconic. It's an iconic record cover. It's just. Uh, I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, it could be so much better. And, you know, <laughs> it was, it, it was very, I mean, it's, it was very in its time. It was early nineties and you look at the back of the album cover and the fonts and all this other yep. stuff, but I would just, I would kill to have a, I would kill to take a <laughs> stab <stat> at that.
1: <laughs> I'm actually waiting for an artist to come out and redesign, do a series of redesigned artworks. Um, for album covers because I just think that people would be drawn to that because it's something that is, like we were talking about, you know, albums are so set in time um, Mm -hmm. and no one's really done it. No one's really gone, here are are my top 20 albums that I love and here are the album covers I would have done. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a great idea. I might actually, uh, I might might actually steal that. (laughs) You do it and you credit it and you say, I got this idea of some Australian guy at 4am in the morning. That's, that's what (laughs) I want to (laughs) hear. But my, my very, my very last question is what is your favorite bit of album artwork you've created?
0: Uh, my favorite would be the, uh, the band The Color of Violence. Mm they it was uh, the guys from from first to last two of the guys uh, and they did this side band and just really aggressive hardcore but it was one of those albums where they're just like, you know what I I had had such a good friendship with them and they just trusted me because I'd worked on their album art before they're just like do whatever you want and I everything on that album was uh, hand collaged no. No, like post-production in Photoshop. I just literally scanned it, put it in the layout. And so that was probably one of the funnest. And I, whenever I look back on that artwork, it's just, it's the artwork that stands out to me the most. It's the one I'm the proudest of for sure.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nick. I really appreciate it. You've given, you've given us all so much insight into, uh, into your workings how the artists work and an epitaph. Um, uh, So I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you once again.
0: Of course. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Never a problem. Vibe. Machine.